Good morning. Can you hear me okay? Am I coming through? Or do you want me to shout louder? Well, this morning, I don't know what sort of week you've had. I've had one of those weeks, Louise and I, we're not sure quite day it is. First thing we say, what day is it today? Because we've been running around with family needs. We're bracing ourselves because we start next week childminding officially for our grandchildren. We end up with three babies for two days a week. I don't know how Louise is going to cope because I've, I've got some projects to do at the church during those times. But I want this morning, my title is The Hill of Unity. The Hill of Unity. And I'm, I want to apologise first of all that I'm interrupting the worship. I could have stayed there all morning just listening to John playing and your lovely voices to be in that heavenly choir and I'm quite serious. So I'm sorry I'm going to spoil what you were doing. But what is unity? The state of being united or joined as a whole, says the dictionary. A whole or totality as combining all parts into one. Oneness of nine, feeling, etc. As among a number of persons, concord, harmony and agreement. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? So let's have a visual aid. Let's have a visual aid. The United Nations... It's in the word united. I believe established in 1946 following the Second World War where millions over the, two pre over the two world wars killed. Parts of this country were wiped out of men, especially the East Anglia. Families split and lost fathers and relatives. Millions displaced. A terrible time. So the, the world nations got together and said we're going to have united nations. Peace dignity and equality on a healthy planet. We're now in the 21st century and you would think as human beings we've got it cracked. Peace reigns across the earth and yet, if I put those flags up, Russia and Ukraine, it's hard to imagine. Here we have members of the United Nations have signed that pact for peace. Uh, over a quarter of a million people have been killed or injured. Millions have been displaced. Towns of cities have been destroyed. Uh, nations against nations. Nations are joining, aligning themselves with Ukraine, providing people and weapons. Nations aligning with Russia. And from where I stand here, God only knows how there's going to be peace. Because God only knows. Because man doesn't seem to have any idea. And this idea that we have peace on our planet, we want unity... It's quite farcical, really, isn't it? I despair. And who would have thought picking on one country suddenly would reduce the problems of having gas and petrol? All the prices have gone up. This one country, Ukraine, supplies, I think, a quarter of the grain to the whole world. However did we get to this place? But let's come to the Bible. It says in Psalm 131, how good... And pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity, exclamation mark. A statement in this psalm. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live in, together in unity. Written 3,000 years ago. The problem I have with this, I don't have 3,000 years of unity and peace. I live from day to day in my mere 68 years. I have to go back to my birthday and work out when I was born. And I haven't got experience of what peace and unity is all about. 
So I turned to what is Christian unity? What do you expect from unity? What is it all about? Well, there's a man called John Piper, a New Testament scholar. He's 77 years old now, and for 33 years, he was a pastor in a Baptist church in Minneapolis. Hands up with those who've been to Minneapolis. Hands up who've been to Minneapolis twice, three times, four times. A fascinating uh, city, Twin City, St. Paul's, Minneapolis, because when I got there, my first time, I saw all these blonde women with Scandinavian names, and I recognised them instantly. Now you may go, Barry, this is getting weird. Because I used to work for a Swedish company, and I spent many days and weeks in Sweden. And suddenly I found out the people from Sweden emigrated. Could somebody sort the sound out, please? Sound engineer? He's gone. Um, and these people emigrated from Sweden to the Americas. And of course in Sweden there's lakes and pine trees. And when you get to Minneapolis, there's lakes and pine trees. And they found their home. But this man, for 33 years, was a Baptist minister. And he said this, Spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, humbly-loving loving unity is designed by God to have at least two aims. A witness to the world and acclamation of the glory of God. I'll say that again with some excitement. Spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, humbly-living unity is designed by God to have at least two aims a witness to the world, and an acclamation of the glory of God. Wow. John Piper goes on to say, unity among two or more people gets its virtue entirely from something else. Unity itself is neutral until it's given goodness or badness by something else. For example, Herod and Pilate had a common scorn for Jesus. So this is not good unity. But Paul and Silas, being in prison, sang songs of good unity. And people coming together is neutral until they have a common cause. For example, in the 30s and 40s, Nazism in Germany had a common cause. And the bad that was done through it. And what makes Christian unity, uh, Christian unity says, Christian unity in the New Testament gets its goodness from a combination of its source its views, its affections, and its aims. And he gets this from Ephesians. Oh no, sorry, from John. Oh, I had a heart attack then. John chapter 17. Here's Jesus speaking to disciples. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And that sense of unity is based upon us knowing Jesus Christ personally. It's that central point that says, okay, there's a common point that we all have. It goes on to Ephesians 3 and says, make every effort to keep the unity of spirit through the bond of peace. We're all baptised, it says in Corinthians, by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. We're all given one spirit to drink. And isn't it interesting? Generally, people do not leave a church because of theology and doctrine. They leave because they can't stand the guy speaking at the front. 
to leave because they don't like the leader. Don't take it personally, John or Dave, they are the facts. Or people leave because they have a bust up with one of you. And I've watched people do this over the years and they wander around church to church because, well, they've fallen out. Make every effort, every effort. It goes on in Ephesians. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What that means is, it's my responsibility as a church pastor and a teacher to teach you these things. Don't do as I do, do as I say. Don't do as I do, do as I say, because I struggle with it. For those who go to meetings with me, I detest going to meetings. Not meetings like business meetings and things, because I'm just not good at them. I can remember in business, I worked at Stans Airport, a script finance controller, and we had two big boardrooms about the length of this room, half the size. And I was in meetings, 8 o'clock in the morning to 5 o'clock, and I'm meeting after meeting, and I got to this one meeting, and a director came in. And he sat down at the end of the table, so we all sat to attention. After 20 minutes, he said, what meeting am I in? So we told him, he said, ah, oh, I'm in the wrong meeting, he said. I should have been on the floor below, but I'll stay here anyway. And that idea that you could just float from meeting to meeting, there was no unity, because we had no common aim. But here the Bible talks about a common unity, because we are part of the body of Christ. Now, I don't know whether you're a big toe, a little finger, an ear, what part of that body is, but the Bible tells me my job is to teach you how to come together, how to challenge you and encourage you and work with you to make you better people when you come together. But as the John Piper said, something must come in to give the purpose. And the first of all, as he said earlier, it's knowing Jesus Christ as personal saviour. And if I look around the room, most of you here, majority, 99%, have accepted Christ as personal saviour. And when you did, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit came into your lives. And that's the part that works with you. Because Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God. He's done his purposes, but in his name we can ask all things. And it's lovely singing those songs about the Father's love. That melody that overflows on us. Hearing Dave's prayer and hearing the people singing that commonness of what God has done for me and you. My job is to equip you, to give you all the tools you need to live life. Last week, Malcolm did faith. And we sat in the pub, me and John, with Malcolm, and he said, I've got to do faith. What would you do? And we sat there, gave some ideas. But it struck me afterwards, and I went home and thought, if I was doing faith, what is faith about? Because I could tell you my experiences but of course, the experiences you come in life are unique to you. You're going to come across bits in your life, a challenge where you've never been there before. And all you can do in those situations is trust God. There may be people like me or other around who've got experience or been there before you, but a whole of our lives are coming into situations we've never experienced. And that's when your faith is challenged. That is when you realise, I'm out of my depth. That could be relationships breaking down. That could be a loss of a job, financials, uh, medical problems, sickness, ill health. 
But we come across situations in life when we feel alone. We feel exposed. And my job is to teach you. In Philippians it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of mind. When I was full-time, I had to go to a monthly prayer meeting of ministers. And for most of the 10, 11 years or 12 years I did this, I never enjoyed it. And every time I came back on a Friday morning, Friday morning from these monthly meetings, I said to Louise, I'm never going back. I can't take it anymore, these ministers. A month later on a Thursday night, I'd say to Louise, oh, by the way, I'm going to the ministers' prayer meeting tomorrow. And she'd say, I thought you said you weren't going anymore. Yeah, I'm just going to go this one time and see. And it's the most strange thing because you've got all these men and women around the, uh, sitting around this room and you're not allowed to share about your church. You can only share about your problems. And being a, pro- a person with no problems, it's no point me being there. <laughs> and so we sat there. But what astonished me was that it was on a... I'll give you an idea. We got to January and I said in November, why don't we share communion? Now, I appreciate that I have different views on certain subjects across the churches, and I thought communion was an easy bet. Why don't we share communion? And so Alison Taylor was organising it from Pot Street. She said to me, I've got a problem, Barry. The Sally Army don't do communion. Oh, they're going to wait till Jesus comes to take it. I said, OK, that's the belief. The Church of England, they've got to get a permission from the local bishop to have a communion outside their church existence. I went, okay, but then I've got another problem. We won't have alcoholic wine. But there's some churches will only have alcoholic wine. And I just said, well, I'm glad. I thought this was going to be easy. When we had it, about four people turned up. Well, no, it was quite about ten of us. And so I, I thought, okay, as I've asked, I'll, I said, can I ask you all a question? What are your aims and ambitions for this year? What, are your, what do you want to do this year? So I went to the first person who looked like a, a rabbit caught in the headlights. Uh, we want to see growth. It went around the room like this. I got to one minister, and he said, "This is no joke." He said, um, "In the last few months, a big church, I will say this, one of the biggest in Holland. In the last few months, her income has gone down, and I've just made our youth pastor redundant. Um, I've got two elders. One of them has got a long-term sickness, and is, is just about to step down. The other elder is going problems in his marriage." Nine ministers there. Not a word said. And I'm thinking, I've hit a twilight zone here. Here's a pastor of a church giving all these mega problems. 20 minutes later, the meeting finished. Everybody walked out, apart from this one man and me. So I sat, went over and sat to him. I said, tell me more. And we sat and we prayed for about half an hour. And I thought to myself afterwards, and I became good friends with him, where's the unity? Where's the unity? This man is crying out, and all the ministers left him. And I persevered these bits, and I blamed myself for month after month. But as I kept going, I saw God changing people. I saw God working. To a point, we had a trainee minister in one of the churches, and he finished his training, and it was the last... Friday he was going to be with us because he was going off to lead his own church. 
And he came at the end of the meeting to speak to me personally. He said, Barry, can I thank you for your humour? You've made a smile every time you come. And you so encouraged me. You've helped me so much. And I was humbled. I just cracked a few silly jokes every week. And it got to a point, I was so frustrated in this meeting, they asked for items for prayer. So I said, um, I'm giving up being a church leader, I can't take it anymore. So that's a lot of prayer for that. And everybody just sat there and looked at me. Nobody asked a word. And they started, people said, all oh, about this. So I said, do you want me to explain that? And they went, if you want to, Barry. I said, I'm struggling. I don't find it easy being a full-time church leader. And suddenly they got the message. And I found it very hard working with these guys and girls. I did get to a point where I was having fortnightly meetings with half a dozen, three or four of them. But it was hard because there wasn't common ground. And there has to be common ground if you want real unity. We've got to come down to the basics. And I was overjoyed one week when I went there. As I walked to the door, I heard this, the chair of this meeting said, I need a word from Barry. Problem, he said, I got this problem. And we sat and prayed and talked. It's hard work, unity. 11, 12 years of going to these meetings which I didn't really enjoy. You can speak to Louise, she'll give you a full testimony, a lowdown on my thoughts on my complaints. But if any encouragement, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same. In Philippians, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not look into your own interests, but each of you to interest of others. I'm an elder of the church. That means I am the bottom of the pile. I'm at the bottom because I am just a servant. It says in Romans, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that is in Christ Jesus. It talks about endurance. It talks about, it's a slog, learning to love Christians. A third of the New Testament is about how you and I get on. It's about relationships. And Paul and all the, the writers and Jesus saying, you've got to work at it. You've got to work at it. It doesn't come overnight. We need to have the same common attitude. As it says, as John Piper says, something outside must come in that makes your unity worthwhile. But of course, the opposite of unity is division. Over the years as a church leader, I've seen division. I've seen people leave churches. But the Bible's quite harsh on it. It says quite clearly, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other justice. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to you and me. I don't know when you last had a fight with somebody. But bitterness harbours and it builds up. And yet, over all those years when I've seen those splits of people, people become disillusioned. They're hurt. They become prodigals. They leave the church. They stop going to church. They're unfulfilled. It's like a cancer disease that spreads when Christians behave like that. And it's more common than you think, even in our own church. There's a case in Philippians where Paul says, I plead with Loadia and I plead with Syntec to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they contend with each other. Two women pointed out. In another gospel, in another letter, Paul writes, at the end he says, this person have nothing to do with him. He's causing division. Harsh words, isn't it? 
But God says, I want unity. We all know these verses. We're coming to prayer week. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather my name, there I am with them. It's the most incredible verse in the Bible. When we gather this week, we can expect God to answer our prayers. If we pray for a nation, God's going to do something. Do you know the verse that comes after this? Hands up if you do. Oh, it wasn't just me then. This is what it comes straight afterwards. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times. But seven. Hold on a minute. Why have those two been put together? So often in the New Testament, especially when you read the words of Jesus, his life, you get a, a parable. Well, if you read before and after, you'll find the context. But this seems a bit mixed up. Something's gone wrong here. These are two separate. They're nothing to do with each other, but God's Holy Spirit has put them together. Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. But of course, if you're not in unity with your brother and sister, why do you expect God to work? If you're in that place where you have bitterness against the person on the other side of the room, why do you expect God to come in and do miracles and do things? This is not an easy scripture. Because we love the first part. We love to take it off and you know, just have that. That's great if we just have that. But think now. I challenge you. Think of the people in this room you find difficult with. Be honest. There are people. I'm not saying call them out. I've got three pages. I've often said, if I could just multiply me and get rid of you lot, it would be a great church. It would be so wide. But I can't choose my brothers and sisters. And I'm glad I can't. You're all different, you're all varied. But God says, my spirit is in each of you here for my benefit. For my benefit, you're the ones that bless me. You're the ones that teach me. You're the ones that show me love. You're the one that have made me who I am. Now you may say Louise has had a, a big input into that. She has, but being at the role I've had, I've been humbled by knowing all of you. And there have been times I've had to sit and for 70 times 7, 400 and something things, I've had to say sorry. Because my, in my mind I'm angry about something or somebody and God says, you need to forgive. You can't move on until you've got that sorted out. There's a, bit, there's a story in the Bible where it says, as you come to give your offering at the temple and you think of somebody you've fallen out with, leave your offering on the floor, go and make it up to them and then sort it. When you come to the communion, come in the right attitude because God says, I want you to have a good relationship, not just with me, with the people. The thing is, God doesn't shout back at us when we get uptight with somebody in the church. They shout at us or we shout at them. These two are linked if we want to see God doing great things in a church, we need to get this sorted. If you genuinely have a problem with somebody, I'll come with you and help you sort it out. Not to judge, but just to talk it through. Back in the 60s, in this church, just before I came, I was only 10 years old, I couldn't be, two men fell out in the church. 
And for six men, months, these two men would not talk to each other. It became a major item until one day the elders of the church got these two men into the room and said, right, once and for all, what is wrong with you two? And the first one says, I was in the foyer, just over there, and he annoyed, when I went to say hello, he just ignored me, just walked off. And the guy said, I don't remember that. It was all over nothing. You may laugh, but that happens. Last week, I sat down next to my wife in a chair. Nobody came and spoke to me apart from James, my hero. And Louis said, of course, I just would see what happened. Now, I'm not blaming you, but actually, I don't expect you to live out of each other's houses, but actually, you need to make the effort to know each other. We've got a name badge on. Mine fell off. I'm sorry about that. I'm Barry. But actually, we have to work because I want to know what you're like, where you're at in your spiritual life. We're coming up to a prayer week. I think I'm doing the Americas. So I looked at the top, I went to Open Door, the top 50 countries in the world which Christians are at risk. Do you know what number 22 is, apart from Magna and Joanna? It is Colombia. Did you know that? We have a couple of people from Colombia in our church. It's the 22nd highest church, uh, place of having. It's got 98% Christians. Um, Magda comes, came from one of the biggest, the biggest Spanish-speaking church in the world. It's the same thing in, probably in Mexico. Because what it is, where you've got the drug cartels, they're attacking the pastors because the pastors of the church are saying have nothing to do with these people. And what the devil does, he kicks the teeth out of the pastors. He attacks the church leaders. Because when you attack the leaders, you don't have the likes of me doing that pastoral and teaching. So this week, we are going to meet each day, not for long, 40, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, just to bring the needs, and we'll be texting out to you. But I challenge you this week how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. When you leave this church, do you leave with a buzz? Do you leave with a spring in your step? Do you go, that's really great talking to that person? Or do you go, nobody spoke to me? Well, you have responsibility to speak to somebody else. We need to look out for each other. If we want to see God to move in certain things, then we work out how we can be one. How we can have the same aims, the same aspirations. Because what the devil does, he looks the ways to divide us. He looks the ways to trip you up. He looks the ways why you can't come to church. Some excuse will come, some telephone call comes. And if you've watched the church in, in the Americas, how often do you read a uh, church pastor goes down? Mark, Mike Pilavachi, is it, of the Church of England? Soul survivor. We took our, many times took our teenagers there. Caught up an incident. And now everybody's questioning it. And the devil picks another church leader in the States, brings him down because of sin, and the churches start to collapse around him. How much you need to be praying for your church leaders here and across? Because they're the ones the devil goes for. You kick a leader down, it takes many with him. If the Lord kicks you down, bad enough for you, the churches don't crumble. And I watched one church in the States which had mega thousands, and the leader got caught up in things, and they, they lost overnight, I think about five, 6,000 people. 
when it came out. And, and this whole church is divided to separate. It was major about five years ago. The devil is a nasty piece of work. The devil's sole aim is to stop you being enthusiastic about God. His sole aim is to stop me, John, Malcolm, Dave, and the youth leaders teaching you about God. He wants to isolate you. He wants to bring fears and show you that you're not worthy, you're useless. My job is to teach you that you're the most valuable asset there is. God's got a chain around his neck with your picture in it because you're precious to him. God holds your hand personally. God will carry you through difficult situations. I want you to know that because that's what the Bible says and I believe it. It, says it does exactly what it says in the book. I can't survive as a Christian without any of you. I can't. And I really can't. I'm a senior member of the church. I'm old, I'm wise, good looking, got the brains, still got my facilities, faculties. I use the facilities. And even at my age, I need you. Not to say how good I am, to give me a hug, to say hello, encourage me with some of your stories. I need that to keep me going. Because you are God's people, and I've got to learn to love you. And some of you are easier than others, but I generally do love you. I miss going to church. We got to our, was it our 40th or 45th, Louise? It was a Sunday a few years back. 40th. She's got it right, I'm just checking on her. And we decided to come to church. We said, what do you want to do? We said, well, I want to come to church. So we got at 11 o'clock and we got back at the back of the church. And we just watched. And it was lovely just watching the church and we disappeared off to a, to a restaurant my kids had booked for us and all the rest of it. We went off and had a lovely day. Then the following week, I was contacted by a woman from St. Mary's Church in the Old Town. And she said, Barry, we have a prayer diary. And each week we pray for churches. And last Sunday, my wedding anniversary, we as a whole church prayed for you and your family and your church, prayed for you personally. And she said, we had words and pictures for you and your church. And they gave us these pictures which are on our, our history. And it blew me away that another church was praying for Barry Wales. That's how much prayer God knows I need. But it was beautiful that in our celebrating our wedding anniversary, God was giving another church visions, pictures and words for a church here. There's unity because of that common area. I'll read again what John Piper said about the church. Spirit-rooted, Christ-manifesting, truth-cherishing, humbly-loving unity is designed by God for at least two reasons. A witness to the world, an acclamation of the glory of God. The church is divided. We see it, and that's how the, the nation views it. Well, I can go to... As the Conservative MP said to me a couple of years back, you don't speak with one voice as a church on certain subjects. We are divided and we need to build those. A witness. Do we acclaim the glory of God by our unity here? Is it a, to celebrate? I love the worship this morning. I couldn't even sing, just focusing on playing the guitar and listen to John playing, listen to your voice. It was beautiful. And then John had that, that bit that the Father sings over us. If you've ever been, a, if you've had a young baby and they're going to sleep, sometimes you go into the room and you sing to a child to comfort them, to calm them. How many, you read the stories here. You know, my mother used to sing this song to me. 
My mother was tone deaf, so I never had the experience of that. I would have loved to have had it. But singing over a child to give them quietness and peace, a land to go to sleep. And there's some time we need that rest in God. And God just sings over us. We all want unity. We have to work at it. It's not easy. I have to put up with you a lot, but I, I'm patient. I can wait. As I said, don't do as I do. Do as I say. God says it all through the Bible. Unity. And this phrase here, how good, says God, how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity! Exclamation mark. I can imagine God shouting this. Shouting this with all the angels. No one going, Amen, and they're singing away. When he sees God's people living as he wants them to be. Let's have a word of prayer and I'll hand back to John. Father, I thank you for the unity we've had in recent years, Father. There's not been the disharmony or the fighting, all the rest of it, and division. You, Lord, have been amazing. But I pray for us today, Father, that you will protect us. We won't become arrogant, that you will protect us, Father, and keep us safe as a church. The enemy is like a roaming lion looking for the devour. And Lord, I want to jump in the way of people here getting hurt. But I'm no force to reckon with. But your Holy Spirit is. Your angels are, Father. And I pray you'll protect us. Look after us. Keep us safe from the, the attacks of the evil one. There won't be division. There continue to be harmony, Father. And that love for each other, Lord, will grow in us. That desire to be part, that desire to see you bless the people around me, Father, and to hear their testimony is what drives me, Father. Lord, pour your spirit into us, I pray. Sort any issues out, Father, in your grace and mercy. But Lord, let us stand as a church, as a witness to who you are and to your glory. Amen.